Amen. Thank you again for being here and worship with us this morning. And uh, we are continuing. We started last week a book study in the book of Mark. And so we're going to continue that in chapter one this morning. I'm going to give you a simple quote or a simple statement this morning. Only as we empty ourselves can we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit that leads us through the battle. So uh, as we get into this morning, we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says this, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As we get into this morning looking at uh, the baptism of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1, uh, I believe that as we look at this passage of scripture and as we go through really the rest of this book, we're going to see a couple things. One, we're going to see an obedience of God, that Jesus Christ was obedient uh, to the Father. We're also going to see uh, that that Jesus completely emptied himself. He was, he was willing to be a servant. He was willing to be obedient. He was willing to stop what he was doing, if you will, and come to earth. As we look throughout Scripture, we'll see that God's Word says that he was to become a man, that the Word became flesh. It says that he was born. He was born of a woman. It says that he grew in stature. He grew tired at times. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He became physically weak in Scripture, we see. We know in Scripture that he died, and obviously three days later he rose again. But he had a real human body. Like when when Jesus left the heavens and he came to earth, he didn't leave the heavens and come to earth in this like different form. He was 100% man. Not only that, physically speaking, but emotionally and things as well. He had a heart as you and I do. In scripture in Matthew, it says that he marveled and became astonished as he had never seen someone with such a faith. In Matthew 26, it says that he became sorrowful even unto death. In John 11, it says that uh, as, his, as his friends were hurting, as, as Lazarus had died, and he went into the house, and everybody around, they were crying and they were weeping. It says that he hurt, he was sorrowful. It says also what? That he wept with them. He was a man that had the emotions that we might have and the feelings that we might have. In Hebrews, in chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared. He was a man. Jesus wept like you and I. He hurt like you and I. He faced agony like you and I. He dealt with emotion. He came and took on the form of a servant and in likeness as man became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. We're coming into Mark chapter 1 to the birth of, or the birth, the baptism of Jesus. And we don't know all of the details of everything that had taken place up to this point. 
It is believed that John the Baptist had been preaching now for anywhere from six months to a year. He has been uh, in this area, in this wilderness, preaching and baptizing people there in the Jordan River uh, for quite some time. And we also know that uh, Jesus, it says, comes into the scene. Jesus kind of appears in. It wasn't, Jesus wasn't there present with them, but it says that he came in. So we know that uh, uh, John the Baptist was preaching, and we looked at last week that he was preaching repentance. In Mark, or Matthew chapter 3, it says, if I get all of these words, I'm tongue-tied with all of the different names in the books, because I'm going to go back and forth through all of this. But Matthew chapter 3, it says, he said that he was preaching, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says, while he was preaching, and John, it says this on, in John chapter 1, verse 29, on the next day, John seeth coming unto him. He saw Jesus coming. And in Mark chapter 1, we see that it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. In John 1, if we go back to John chapter 1 and verse 29 again, it says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not. Luke's gospel says that uh, Jesus wasn't in, in this situation. He wasn't baptized by himself. There was a gathering of people when Jesus came upon the scene. In Luke chapter 3, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Think about it. John has been preaching. John has been teaching repentance for the remission of sins. John has been baptizing in this, in this Jordan River and all of a sudden he, he makes the statement and we looked at it last week that he, he looked at the people and he talked of all of these things, repentance, and he talked of all this and then he looked at him and what did he say? He said, the guy, the man that is coming after me, I am unworthy to even undo his shoes. And then it says, the next day, as he is teaching and as he is doing these things in John chapter 1, and the next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him. And he said, behold. Could you imagine? We're all standing out in this wilderness area. We're all standing in the middle of this area. The, the, the river flowing. And, and all of a sudden you look off. John looks off into the distance. And I don't know how far away that it was. But he looks out and he says, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He says this, this, this is the one that I told you about. This is the guy that I said that was, I can't even undo his shoes. That's him. Behold the Lamb of God. And then we come in and he says that he needs baptized by John the Baptist. <laughs> And in Matthew chapter 3, we look at in verses 14 and 15, in Matthew, we see that Jesus is coming in, and then in verse 13, sorry, I'll go one before, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him, but John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness and then he suffered him 
it is fitting for you. It is, it is time. We must do this now. But can you imagine John the Baptist? He's the one that just said, I can't even undo your shoes. And now all of a sudden you're coming asking me to baptize you? I don't know about you, but I would probably be saying a little bit of what was said here. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the one that needs baptized of you. What was he preaching? What was he preaching? Repentance. Remission of sin. Jesus needed repentance, right? He needed to repent a lot, right? No, he was perfect. He was sinless. He was pure. He was holy. He was righteous. And he came to John the Baptist and said, I need to be baptized. And John just kind of steps back and he's like, whoa, time out. I would need to be baptized of you. You are the son of God, not me. You are perfect. You are the sinless lamb of God. Jesus came as a man, humbled, obedient to the father to live and to die. But I want us to get some of these thoughts here this morning. But all along the way, he was acting in such a manner to lead people to point to his father, to point to others, to point to the father, pointing others to the father. And John says, why would I baptize you? I believe as we look at this passage, I believe as we look at some of the other corresponding passages, we'll begin to see in large part why this is. And that we can have a greater understanding of why Jesus did what he did. And even as we look at this study as a whole, as we look at Mark, what we have said, we are walking with Jesus through the book of Mark, Jesus was a man. Jesus came to be identified as a man, and he came to identify with mankind. And in every step along the way, everything that he had was for purpose and also pointed back to the Father and pointed others to the Father. And I believe as we look through this, we will see how his baptism wasn't so much so that he needed to be baptized because of his sin. It was so that he would identify with man as he points others to the Father. And sometimes I think that we... I know in our teachings of certain things of baptism, it's wrong. (laughs) Baptism does not save us. Baptism is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. And it is publicly coming to people to say, I believe and I identify in this. I am a follower of Jesus. It does not, baptism does not save. And so we see all of these things inside of this passage of Scripture. And I want to go back to that statement. Only as we empty ourselves can we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit that leads us through the battle. Jesus had to become a man. He had to become obedient. He had to take this upon himself. And in this we see how God would carry him through the battle that we will look at this morning as well. Mark chapter 1 verse number 9 through 13 is where we will be this morning. So if you have your uh, copy of God's Word with you, if not, it'll be on the screens. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. 
And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. Father, I come to you this morning and I ask that you would use your word to pierce the hearts of each one that sits here. I pray, Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, Lord, would you uh, just place it upon them? Would you stir them? Would you convict them? Would you draw them to yourself to see exactly all that you did to bring us to yourself, to your Father? God, I pray that you would help us to see even our identity in you, that you would help us to see the significance that we have because you love us, that you would help us to see the security that you have given to us. Father, be with us now, for it's in Jesus' name, amen. My first thought this morning is this, Jesus emptied himself in baptism. If we're to just circle back to some of that introduction this morning, Jesus comes in the midst of John's preaching and asking him to baptize him. Obviously, John kind of Scratches his head, and I'd imagine that he just kind of, oh, wait, what? Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you want me to, you know, he's probably a little bit caught off guard because of what he was doing, baptizing, preaching, repentance for the remission of sin. Why then is the question, why would Jesus need to be baptized? He had no need to repent. There was no remission of sin There was no forgiveness. He was the Son of God. John Mark, in in Mark chapter 1, he makes the statement at the very beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is speaking of this Jesus, is the Son of God. This is what we're talking about. He doesn't have a need to repent. John knew Jesus was holy We don't know how much the two of them knew each other prior to this moment. We don't know how much they came back in contact after this moment. We know that they were cousins. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. So maybe there was time that as children they would have spent together at family reunions or this or that. We we could assume some of those things, but we don't know to what degree they really knew each other. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he knew that that was the Son of God. He knew that he was the spotless Lamb of God. Basically, we can see that based on what he says. What does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sins of the world. He knew that. So why? Why would Jesus need to be baptized? In Matthew chapter 3, it says this. Thank you, Kenny. It says, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. Jesus' response when John was like, Why? Why do I need to baptize you? What are we doing here? His response was, Hey, uh, for this time, we need to do this To fulfill all righteousness. John, at that point, baptizes. 
Jesus looked at John, and John wasn't being impure. John wasn't angry. John wasn't frustrated. If you were to look at that scripture in Matthew chapter 3, and you go before verses 13, 14, and 15, it says before that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they all came, and John said, uh, get out of here. He calls them the Buddha or the brood of vipers or whatever. Uh, we look at that where he was like, no, you need to get out of here. Y'all are wicked individuals. You're not coming for repentance. He doesn't have that same heart with Jesus. He's literally, I think, just dumbfounded, maybe like you and I would be like, why? why? In a pure motive of why am I doing this? I don't understand. And so we see all of that. And Jesus just says, trust me. Yield to me according to God's plan, if you will. For this is necessary right now. This is what has to happen right now. It really wasn't so much about Jesus' perfection and John's imperfection. It was the plan that God had from the beginning. It was Jesus identifying with man. Jesus, in large part, was baptized as a visible sign of obedience to the Father. But it was also a sign to every person that would have been there. Because what took place? Jesus is now baptized. There's a gathering of people as we read that there was people all around him. And Jesus was obedient to be a man as we looked at in, in uh, the very introduction here in Philippians chapter 2. He was willing to be obedient. He was willing to empty himself of all of the things that he had in heaven. He was willing to empty himself of all of those things. And over here you have John the Baptist. John the Baptist, think about the creepy looking guy he was. Standing out in the wilderness, wearing the things that he wore and eating the locusts and the, I mean, I mean, it's not, you know, repent, turn. I imagine there's some that left going, that guy, I don't know about him. We were told that there was going to be this guy in the wilderness, but I wasn't expecting that guy. And now all of a sudden Jesus walks into the scene and Jesus comes in and John says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then he says, I need to be baptized. And immediately the things that took place. That was a visible sign, not only to John the Baptist, that wow, this truly is what I'm supposed to be doing. This truly is the Son of God. But everybody that's now watching sees the heavens parting. They see the things that are taking place and they say, Oh, oh, this is, this is the Son of God. And we have a visible sign from God, if you will, of Jesus and the ministry that he was about to partake in. See, Jesus' obedience was complete. It was perfect with the Father as he submitted to being baptized by a man who most would say no you are God he says this is the time to fulfill all righteousness Jesus knew that he was greater than John he also knew John was being humble to say I, I can't do this I'm not the guy that's supposed to be doing this but it was for this occasion because it will fulfill God's plan, that righteous plan that God had. See, Jesus came to identify 
with mankind, and so, and to do so, is to identify with sin. Now, Jesus never came, he was sinless, but he identified with man. And really, that's what we're looking at in this picture of baptism. We're looking at Jesus coming to identify. He could not purchase right, the righteous, or he could not purchase righteousness for man if he did not identify with mankind in their sin. He fulfilled all righteousness, not only through his life of perfect obedience, but also through his substitutionary death on the cross, in which God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians chapter five. Isaiah chapter 53 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. See, he was baptized, symbolizing the baptism of the blood that would eventually take place, that would be poured out upon the cross, to bear the sin of many. In Mark chapter 10, we'll read this in probably months to come. <laughs> but in Mark chapter 10, we see in verse 38, the disciples are asking questions and Jesus responds, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Again, Jesus is is being baptized and he's identifying with their sin but he's also pointing them forward to what is to come he's pointing them forward to the death and the burial and the resurrection that is to come not in the water but by his blood that would be shed for the remission of sin he will take on a baptism that no one can take on of blood and suffering he comes to john who is baptizing of repentance for the remission of sin But see, Jesus will come to take the place of that sinner and be numbered among the transgressors. I don't know that we can answer every little question as to why Jesus would have been baptized, but a lot of what we read, a lot of what historians would say and scholars would say is in the the bulk of what has happening is Jesus identified with you and I. <laughs> he was identifying what is baptism. Baptism is identifying. When we put when we take and we do baptism and we bring the uh, the the baptistry in and we fill it up and we baptize we that individual is identifying with you the church body and they are identifying I am a follower. I am identifying in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am identifying just like Jesus identified with man to come and point to the Father. I can't give you every detail of everything. Baptism, as I stated early on, will not get you to heaven. But Jesus' baptism on the cross and the shedding of His blood that was done to be credited unto you if you would simply empty yourself and believe, repent, the forgiveness of sin. This morning, that very first simple thought this morning, 
Jesus emptied himself in baptism. And as we look at that simple statement, only as we empty ourselves can we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit that leads us through the battle. We see that it was in Jesus he emptied himself to become a man, to identify with sin, to identify in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of baptism. The second thought is Jesus experienced a blessing in his baptism. There is something to Jesus' life. Obviously, he was the Son of God. But we saw in Scripture, we see that Jesus came, was born of a virgin. We celebrated Christmas just not long ago. We read those stories, the wise men, and we read the stories of the shepherds, and we read the stories of the, the being born in a manger, and we read all of these stories, and we, we talk about all of these things, and then you don't hear anything about Jesus. The next time we hear anything really about Jesus is he's about 12 years old, and his parents were so great that they left him at the temple, and he was by himself for a couple days in the temple. They get back home and they're like, uh, where? I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. How did we leave our kid? Has anybody ever left their kid? I mean, we left Madison. Mindy left Madison. <laughs> we, were, we went and got Cold Stone, didn't we? And we left her in the car. <laughs> it was Riley. Oh, there we go. It was Riley. Never mind. It's still just, it's actually more fitting if it's Riley. But we went inside, it, you know. We both looked at each other. Oh, we got to go back out and get the, <laughs> the ice cream was good. Um, but they left Jesus in the temple. That's the last we hear about Jesus. We know that his father was a carpenter and so we would assume based on the day and age that it was that Jesus would have been raised up under that, that Jesus would have been basically an apprentice under him as a carpenter and he would have known woodworking and he would have done all of those things of working with his hands and doing that. We know that uh, based on his, his faith and based on the family's faith that he would have been taught and he would have sat under some teaching and we, we know some of those things but it was really silent. We don't know a lot about that period of time. But we know that he arrived quietly. He came into the crowd by himself and identified with them. He did all that he could as the, the God-man to identify with those that he came to serve. We will see that Jesus gets dirty with the people. He cries with the people because he was willing to empty himself. He was willing to empty himself to be filled with the Spirit and to allow that Spirit to lead him through the battles of life. And in the midst of a crowd of people, he experienced an amazing filling. God's Word through John Mark says immediately... And Luke chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Now when all of the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized, and it says this, and praying as he was coming up, the heaven opened. In Mark it says, And it came to pass in those days 
Well, in verse number 10, and straightway coming up out of the water, and immediately coming up out of the water. So you see that John the Baptist was in the river with Jesus, and and he takes him down, and he brings him back up, and immediately as those waters are parting, as Jesus is coming up, it says that he was praying in Luke chapter 3, and it says the heavens were opened. I don't know, actually I was out in the hallway, and Kenny stopped me on the way in, and he said, hey, What do you think happened with the heavens being open? Do you think the clouds just parted? Or do you think the heavens split wide open? We don't really know exactly what that looks like, but here's what we do know. We know that that word, the heavens split open, the heavens are open, are the same verbiage. It's the same words when Jesus was hung on the cross and Jesus said it is finished. And it says what? And the veil, the veil was torn from top down and the veil was torn wide open. It's the same words that are used in the veil being torn as the heavens being split wide open. To think... Jesus being under the water, being brought up through the water. And I would believe it. It would be just like that when his head is kind of coming out of the water that the heavens are split wide open. Can you imagine? Wild enough as it is, it's been 400 years since anybody has prophesied John the Baptist now comes and all of these people, all of the Jewish uh, Judaism and all of those would have known because they studied the scriptures that somebody, there's a man that's coming in the wilderness and to preach and to teach. They knew that. So they were coming from everywhere. And so all of these people, we don't know if there was 10, if there was 100, if there was 1,000, we don't know the number, but we know that they were all there being baptized and they watched Jesus. And as Jesus comes, the heavens split wide open. Did you imagine seeing that scene? You're like, I just thought I was coming to hear this guy preach. Wouldn't that be cool? The bow. The building just split in half. I don't know what I would do, to be real honest. Could you imagine? I don't know if I would, I don't know what I would do. But John the Baptist is speaking, all of these, or baptizing him, all of these people are around. And the heavens split wide open. This morning as we continue in on this sermon, this, this thought, there's a couple things that happened. One, it says the Spirit comes down as a dove. And as we look at this passage, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. So Jesus is now coming out of the water and Jesus is now standing upright in the water with John the Baptist and it says that the Spirit, like a dove, descends upon him. So I'd imagine somewhere over top of him you see what would look like the dove, a dove sitting there. And then it says this, And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There was this power that took place in the spirit or in the the splitting wide open of the heavens and the spirit descending and a pleasure that took place in Jesus' obedience. And Jesus being willing willing to empty himself. There was now a public coronation, if you will, upon Jesus' ministry. It wasn't 
a mighty, violent, crazy scene because it says the Spirit descended like a dove. But it was a gentle, beautiful sight, I imagine, to behold. Isaiah 11 says the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. Isaiah 42, 1 says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my Spirit upon him. Jesus, the Messiah, was now publicly anointed, but also he was given an affirmation for his obedience to his Father. For the Father said, My Son, whom I am well pleased. See, I think sometimes we look at this, and I, I've, and I, I wrestle with this in my mind because I don't know how this happens because he was God, but he was the Son. But he willingly said, no, Father, I will, I will go to be the Son of God. I will go to be a man. I will not only go to be a man, but I will be obedient unto you, even unto death. And when we look at this passage of Scripture and we begin to see through some of these things, He goes down the splitting of the heavens and then the Father says, Behold, my Son in whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but some of the sweetest words I've ever heard have been my father or my mother saying, Aaron, I'm pleased, I'm I'm proud of you. To this day, there will be times my mom and dad attend our church and there will be times that my mom has said something after a service and she would grab my neck and she'll say, my son in whom I am well pleased. My father will text me or he'll say something to me. You know, those are words that really build you up. It's a word that I, I want my parents to be proud of me. Obviously, I want my Heavenly Father to be proud of me, but I want my parents to be proud of us. All of us have that desire. And when I read this, I try to think of it as myself. But can you imagine Jesus going through what Jesus is going through, but not only what he's going through, but what he knows he is going to go through. And the words that he will never forget as he comes out of that water and his father says, I am pleased in you. How that carries, how that, that holds so much strength in his ministry from that point forward. Listen, I would say the same thing to you. The Father is pleased in you. He loves you. He gave himself for you. You are significant to him. There's been countless times in my life, there's countless times on a regular basis, I don't feel significant in the world in which we live, but I'm significant to Him. I'm identifying in Him. He is my identity. He is the security. He is the one through whom significance is given. And we see all of that coming into this piece here. I want to hit on this in just for just a moment, and I don't want to stay here long. But we see the heavens open, the Holy Spirit that descends on him like a dove. And I want to say this, and this isn't some 
major theological whatever. But I believe, I believe in this room we have diverse backgrounds. But many of us come from the same Baptist backgrounds. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we all kind of go, like, I don't know what we should say about this. But can I just say this to you? We ought not be afraid of it. We ought not run around the room and act like crazy people. I don't believe that. But we ought to embrace the reality that God's word tells us when I come to know him as my holy, as my, as my holy, as I come to know him as my savior, that the Holy Spirit indwells inside of me. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that I have today. And I'm, I'm sorry for all of us Baptist people that were taught to put your hands underneath your, your tush and sit and be quiet in the church house. That's not how things are going to be in heaven. That would, be a, that would be one of those moments where you, your Gatorade bath. <laughs> Some people are like, what are you talking about? There was this funny thing on Facebook about dumping Gatorade on me during a good point during the sermon. But at any rate, I, I, do, I truly believe this. Sometimes in our Baptist circles, we, we see what's taking place on this extreme and because we've seen what's taking place on this extreme, we go over here and say we have to be really quiet and silent about it. But nowhere in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is real. And the Holy Spirit gives us strength and it gives us power. And the Holy Spirit is very real. And I, I, I feel that there's times that we, out of so much concern that we can't go over here, well, we don't have to go to the place that I don't believe Scripture speaks of within the Holy Spirit. But I do believe in everything in me, in our Baptist circles. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't come from this Baptist circle. Praise God. High five. <laughs> but I think sometimes we're so quiet within that. And therefore we... we Sing like this, and we're like, uh. I remember, I remember sitting in church, and the guy in front of me as a child, I was probably, maybe, Riley, eh, probably Brinley's age, and somebody in front of me raised their hand in church, and the guy behind me said, hey, go ask if he has a question. <laughs> but here's the thing, we laugh because it's, like some people in this room are like, why is that guy raising his hand? That's weird. Do you know what's going to happen in heaven? I want to tell you right now, the way that many of us go to church on a Sunday morning, one, I believe, mm, this, will get, this could really hurt feelings. Some of you, just because you have no Holy Spirit feeling inside of you because you haven't read your Bible since the last time you came together and so on and so forth. But the reality is when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of shouting and dancing that's going to be something that we're going to be like, what? So, I, I don't know. I just, I put this thing in my note. This is a lot longer than what I put in my notes. But I just, I feel like we need to embrace as well as protect, if that makes sense. Because I don't, I don't want to be, we're not coming in running around circles. We're not coming in using snakes and doing weird stuff. Um, we're not having some of those moments in our churches. But 
we need to probably embrace it a little bit more and understand it. And maybe that's a teaching moment for me that I need to teach more. But any rate, as we come, we see this, that Jesus experienced a blessing in his baptism. He experienced that because he emptied himself of everything that he had. And as he went down, he came back up and he experienced that dove. He experienced that joy. The second point really looks at the Holy Spirit that came upon Christ as it does in us as we come to know him as Savior, as well as the affirmation that gives us the strength and the boldness we must live in to fulfill that which God has called us to do. We must seek to remain and abide that we would, as, as it says in Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit as to not give in to the desires of the flesh. Just as Jesus was led and guided by the Spirit, we must also be to be filled is a moment-by-moment situation for all of us. This isn't something that you come to know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes within you. No, this is a moment-by-moment-by-moment. Why do we tell you? Why do I encourage you always? Stay in the Word of God. Stay together with one another. Iron sharpening iron. Be engaged. Serve the Lord. Worship Him in every aspect of your life. Stay in God's Word. Prayer, fasting, meditation, all of these things are vital. Why? Because that's what's a part of filling us. It's what's a part of allowing me to do the things that I do, not me as a pastor but us as people to do what we're called to do to serve your family to serve the co-workers to serve your neighbors to be filled to give them a hope that they need it happens as we daily moment by moment again but I have to empty myself so that I can be filled with him I'll tell you where I fail I fail often when I'm full of me because I'm pretty good. Right? I just get to that place in my life where things are good and I'm, I'm all right. Just like you do. When I'm, when I'm full of me, I can't be filled with him. It's only when I am emptied of myself can I be filled with Him. And in those moments, those are the moments where God shines through the most. I ask you, do you have the affirmation and blessing of the Father in your life and what you're doing? Are you emptied of yourself so that you can be filled with the Spirit to lead you and to guide you? Jesus' baptism shows us his humanity. It shows us a reason to identify for him coming to identify with and point to the Father. It gives us evidence and proof to John the Baptist. It showed his Messiahship. It showed his affirmation of the Father from the Father. All of which, all of which leads us to this last point this morning. Jesus was never alone in his battle. As we go to verses 12 and 13, immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and angels ministered unto him. 
This morning, as we kind of come to a place of just wrapping up, we see that Jesus did all of these things. Jesus now experiences the, the highest of highs, if you will. He is now coming out of the water. The, the heavens are parting. The, the Holy Spirit is resting upon him as a dove. And then it says immediately, straightforward, he's taken into the wilderness and he would be tempted by Satan. See, I... Love this statement. I believe when I was in college, Dr. Falwell used to say it all the time. You're either coming out of the trial, you're in the trial, or you're about to go into the trial. Isn't that exciting? That's such a joy to think of. I'm either in it, I'm out of it, or I'm going into it. It's just one of those things that you're like, oh, that's awesome. The trial is coming. But you know, when we look at the scriptures and we look at all of these things, we all need to have confidence in our identity. We need to feel secure and be secure. We need to understand our significance. And all of this is right here. And it's all of that that we see, all of that that we need, his security and his significance and all of those things, our identity needs that we need so that when we go and face the trial, we can walk through the trial because we know that we're not in it alone. Do you know what's awesome? Let me tell you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as a man, needed security, significance, and to understand his identity. And all of that came where? From the Father. If he needed and desired those things, we do also. We must have that. And as we have that, Jesus is about to go through this battle. He's about to go through this temptation. He's about to face not fun things. But he understood that he was not doing it alone. See, most of the time when we face trials and temptations and battles, it's usually... In moments of tiredness, in moments of just, you're looking at fatigue and you're looking at all of these different things. How many times, I, I, we were talking about this on Monday, do you know some of my biggest battles in life come after a Sunday morning that was probably one of the best Sunday mornings? You guys don't understand this, maybe completely, some of you may if you've been in ministry or whatever, but... Sunday evenings and Monday mornings are my hardest. Because I've poured out. I've given what I can give. And I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm emotionally drained. I'm spiritually drained. Where was Jesus? He was poured out. He had given he was now fatigued. He was now tired. He had given everything. And now it says that he was immediately taken to the wilderness. He was immediately taken to this place where Satan would barrage him and beat him up for the next 40 days. I joke about it, but how many of you went to church camp when you were kids or teenagers? This is good. This is good. How many of you burnt all your cassette tapes? Did anybody remember going to church camp and they told you like, you need to get rid of all your cassette tapes. 
No more CDs. Those are of the devil, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you think I'm... Others of you didn't have CDs. You were burning eight tracks and... uh, (laughs) And vinyl. So... But you go to church camp as a teenager. Our kids do it. We send our kids to church camp and they make great decisions. And I don't think that they're fake decisions, but they make good decisions. And they're going to come back and they're never talking to this friend and they're, they're never going to do this again and we're never going to do this again and you've given your life to Jesus and everything else and you're going to go to the deepest, darkest jungles of wherever it is and all of a sudden you come back, you're excited, you tell your parents about all these things. Sometimes they'll stand before the church and we have testimony time, whatever it is, and then what? Boom! Days and weeks right after, what happens? They get beat up. They get beat up. You walk an aisle and you pray before on an altar or you kneel down at your chair. God, I, that sermon was exactly what I needed and that sermon was this and God, you spoke to me and you did this and God, I'm, gonna, I'm surrendering and God, I'm going to empty myself. God, I need you, I need you, I need you. Monday morning, all of a sudden, you're like somewhere God didn't even show up between Sunday morning and Monday morning. And now all of a sudden, you're getting beat up. That's where Jesus found himself. But what did he have? He had identity in Christ, in the Father. He had security in the Father. He had significance in the Father. And see, he had the Holy Spirit, obviously, to guide him and to lead him and to direct him in all of these things. But as we look at this, you have all of that too. I have all of that too. The Holy Spirit that fills me and leads me and guides me. The Holy Spirit that can give me that strength. You know, the the Father saying, well done, I I love you, my son. I'm proud of you, my son. Listen, God the Father loves you and gave his son for you. He is proud of you. He loves you with everything that he has. You are significant to him. Your sin this morning didn't make him go, ah, not so much today. No, he still loves you unconditionally with everything that he ever did. And I'm secure in that. You know, when I know my identity and when I know that I'm secure and I know I'm significant, I can take the next step forward with confidence and boldness because I know that it's not about me because I've emptied myself of everything that I have. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and I understand that He is walking and leading me and guiding me in everything else that I'm about to face. There's moments in my life where I truly mean this with everything in me. There's moments in my life that I've been able to take the next step because I knew that woman was on my side. There's moments in life when I've been able to take the next step because I knew mom and dad loved me and told me that, Aaron, I'm proud of you. Just keep serving the Lord. Hopefully you have somebody like that in your corner where sometimes it's just knowing that your spouse is lifting you up today. Sometimes it's remembering, I remember my mom and dad said that to me, and it, it upholds us. But you know what? So much more than that is who God is and who God is for you and what he has said he will do and what he is doing. 
my identity in him. We sung the song about our fear. My fear doesn't stand a chance in God's love. Do you know why we don't do things? Because we are fearful. No, but when we recognize our identity in Christ and that my security is in that and my significance is in that, I can be bold to do anything that God has called for us to do. Matthew chapter 4 is a passage I would encourage you to read. It's really the passage that goes into much greater detail of what Jesus went through in this wilderness. But yet, in the midst of that temptation, he was filled with the Spirit, not with himself, because he was emptied. He was given security. He was given significance by the Father. And he was able to press through and overcome. My failures happen when I fail to be emptied of myself. And I fail to truly know my identity in Christ. Thus, I become insecure and I feel insignificant. This morning, only as we empty ourselves can we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit that will lead us through the battle. I don't know this morning who sits in this room that needs what. I trust that the Spirit is doing that. But I would ask you, maybe it's for you, it's going all the way back to the foundational piece of really what was discussed today is our salvation in Him. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has been a time in your life where you recognize the sin that you have, the failures that you have, the things that we do because of our sin that Jesus Christ came for that. He died upon the cross. The blood that was shed was to clear, was for the remission of sin, that he would take your sin and throw it as far as the east is to the west because he loves you. Has there ever been a moment in your life that you have surrendered and said, God, I need to humbly come before you, empty myself of all that I am because I need you as my Savior. Maybe this morning it's you following in believer's baptism. You know Christ is your Savior. You've walked the aisle, whatever it is. You bowed your head and asked Jesus Christ to come in, but you've never taken the next step to identify with Him and with the church. Maybe, believer, you have not been emptied of yourself lately. And when we're not empty of ourselves, we can't be full of Him. Maybe it's simple practices of how you live your life. See, Jesus came and identified with the sinner. And he did so by loving them, by serving them, by caring for them, by hurting with them, by crying with them, by laughing with them, by getting dirty with them. Maybe wherever you are, maybe as a mother or as a father, you've disconnected a little bit and you're not getting dirty with it anymore maybe you're not 
serving and identifying with the children in your spouse and your home the way that you ought to. Maybe it's in your workplace. You're just comfortable going in and getting your work done and leaving and going home and you no longer identify with the people that are there so that you don't get dirty with them. You don't laugh with them. You don't cry with them. You don't hurt with them any longer and you're losing. You're stepping away from the ministry that God has called for you to do. Maybe it is in ministry you have Kind of stepped away. You know what I'll find myself sometimes doing? I find myself stepping back and I'll accept the, com- the comments of, well, you're just busy. You know, the reality is if I'm not in identifying with the people, loving and serving and getting dirty with, then I lose out. Anybody else? Anybody else? This morning, I don't know where that sets and rests for you. But Jesus came to identify with us. And maybe it's in baptism, maybe it's in salvation, maybe it's emptying ourselves, maybe it's practical pieces of just serving people that you love. but would we respond back to God? Father, I come to you. And Lord, as we close out and as we do each week, just taking a moment to slow down enough to respond. Father, it may be somebody in this room that doesn't know you as Savior. It may be somebody that's never followed in that obedient step of baptism. Maybe they need to just follow that and start that journey of obedience. Father, maybe it's somebody that's just struggling and hurting and that they have been full of themselves. It's, it may not even be an, a, a bad pride, if you will, but in the hustle and bustle of life, it's just become about them. It's about me and their busyness and their other things and they... They've truly just not emptied themselves to allow you to fill them. Father, maybe we've stepped away from our service and how we identify and love people. We've not gotten dirty with people in a while. We've not hugged a neck. We've not connected with somebody in a manner. God, would you Stir us and bring us back to that. As we empty ourselves, we would serve others. As we close this morning, I just encourage you right where you're sitting or you're more than welcome to come forward as some have. But maybe you would just stop for a minute and, and speak back to God in some of those areas. Maybe you need salvation. Please don't leave today without getting that settled. Maybe it is baptism. Speak to us. That first step of obedience, it's so important to encourage you throughout the rest of this journey of your Christian life.
Father, this morning, we just thank you. God, we praise you. Lord, I ask that you would just take this sermon and allow it to wrestle in the hearts of each one that's here. Lord, allow it to just permeate through their week. And God, that you would be glorified through those things. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray.